Nigel, I, I cannot wear those ridiculous ears. It's a serious trauma, not Dumbo. Well, they need to be striking. Striking? I'll be striking everyone within a six-foot radius every time I turn around. I'm meant to be playing a grieving widower with slightly larger ears, not juddle bank on legs. I'll have a think about it. Right, and where's Mary? Huh? We need to get started. I've got a fresh go delivery coming at four. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 231 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that thinks as we enter week three of Nick's Black Eye, surely it's just a matter of time before it gets its own entry on Corypedia. I'm Gavin. And I'm thankful for that ass. For us? The one attached to you. Oh? Oh, because it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Although... That was a, it was an odd <laughs> moment at the dinner table where you chose to mention that, but I'm sure the, kids, I'm sure the kids won't be scarred for, <laughs> for too long. They have to listen to me sing Shoop every time it comes on the radio, so they're already scarred for life. Yeah, plus the actual physical scars. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm full. Yeah, oh, that Oof. was a good Thanksgiving. It was a good Thanksgiving. No, I think I say this every year, but I think we excelled ourselves with the dinner. It was good. I forgot the I forgot to gel the cranberries. Nobody eats and the cranberries anyway, except for me. Right, I eat them because they're delicious and also good for you. But um, maybe maybe not quite so coated in sugar. <laughs> but you know, right. <laughs> I I I used store bought stuffing this year instead of cook instead of baking my own cornbread to use for stuffing. And I don't think I'll do that again because it got a little crispy because it was already dried out. You've done this before with what are essentially croutons. And it just, I, I don't think it, anyway, I, it don't, just, I don't want to detract from what was but a other than very that, fine meal. It was, it was fantastic. Our, we, our turkey was very good. Yep. It came out really good. Four bucks that cost. <laughs> That's your favourite part of that turkey, isn't it? Yeah, the turnip that went with it cost six. <laughs> Astonishing. Yes. Uh, the turkey was actually $17, mm-hmm. but with the store loyalty card, I got 13 off. Mm-hmm. So we got a £9 turkey for four bucks. Yes. Which is just perfect for like the five of us, right? Absolutely. We still have some left over. I, still play, I, had, a, I had a sandwich. I didn't nice. quite have what Ross Geller and friends would describe well, no, as the moist maker because that sounds kind of disgusting. Well, yeah. I just had a turkey sandwich and it was lovely. Because we didn't have any gravy left or cranberries, which are essential for the moist maker. Or what I like to call a pilgrim sandwich. Huh. Even though Thanksgiving really isn't about the pilgrims, it was instituted... To celebrate the end of the Civil War, but you know you you can't. There there are certain friends people. isn't responsible for everything, hell. <laughs> now, nor should it be. Let it go, jeez. Oh, well, 
At least this year, you didn't get a turkey stuck on your head. Thank God. Well, not that you saw. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fine, fine day. And it was like 50 degrees outside. It was, no, nice. it was, it was lovely for our annual after dinner walk, mm-hmm. which the boys did not go with us. Nick insisted we never do this. I was like, we do this every year. Yep. <laughs> Just because you don't go for the walk doesn't mean it doesn't happen every single year. But it was it was nice. And then we came home and we played code names. <sighs> which is always good fun. <laughs> it's never good fun. <laughs> it's always good fun. We were laughing a lot. And people who were like, uh, I don't want to do this were saying, one more round. Oh dear. You see you you make it sound like they're these kind of rosy cheeked children who <laughs> play us another one, father. Play us another one. <laughs> Those, it wasn't like that. And those rosy-cheeked children had a very good time hanging out with you today, watching watching the USA versus versus England match, which was unfortunately a draw. Oh, that that was a that was a good game though. Well, yeah. from an American point of view, right? Regardless of the war paint. So, so yes, Delhi had blue war paint on and had uh, donated a <laughs> a flag to me to yes. wave. There were fl- there was flag waving. In was, our living room. There was flag waving, there were shouts of, where, where are you going, John? At the <laughs> keeper whose name wasn't John. And there were shouts of, come on, Scotland! <laughs> when I kind of got overwhelmed by the moment. But yeah. But England didn't win, and, and that's that's the important thing. That's That was the important thing for us. I mean, yes. I'm sure it was... I'm sure, you know, some people want England to win, but... English people. Yeah. Not all English people. Yeah. My friend Steve hates the English team. And yeah. he's from Liverpool, which I yeah. think explains it. <laughs> anyway. Right. Shall we preamble, my dear? I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. No. Yes. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do this. Give us some of that Cory news, John. <laughs> Don't know why it's John. It's always John, though. It's funny. Surprise! Surprise! The current racism storyline has apparently struck a nerve, earning 139 Ofcom complaints for the soap. Specifically, it appears Darian's beating at the hands of Griff and Spider and Griff. the other and the other masked Reese and Dave. I think are the other two masked misogynists and racists and all that <sighs> yeah. shite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we caught a little bit of flack for our moment, moment of the, the week. week. It wasn't a huge amount of... Right. In terms of flack, it was it was very low-level low flack. But right. there was definitely some people thinking, uh, we, shouldn't be having, we shouldn't be having stories like this, or we shouldn't be having stories with us when there's Muslim grooming gangs. Where's that storyline? Well, you know, mm-hmm. walk trash. Oh, it's was walk nonsense. The, yeah. Oh, yeah. well. We, yeah. ag- we ignore it and it just goes away. Yes. If we don't engage with these people, then... Well, there's no point. I mean, I don't think anyone in the history of Twitter has ever ever changed anybody's mind. Mm-mm. And I don't think it's likely to happen in Twitter's dying days. No. So, best Especially to not. Move on and, right. and engage with the people that are engaged and, with it as well. So. Yeah, and the majority of people agreed with us. But there are people who follow us, so... Right. Of course they got it. Well, they don't always agree with us. No. As that three-star review from the other week. <laughs> <laughs> That's testament to. Mm. 
Sir Lindsay Hoyle, Speaker of the House of Commons, hosted a reception of thanks for Corey and Emmerdale cast and crew, saying he was beyond proud that two of the most well-known programs in the United Kingdom were from the North. Gonna have to change his name to to his last name to Stark instead of Hoyle. Yeah. Keeps I, I presume it means the north of England rather than north of the UK. Well, I guess. Because north of the UK would be someplace up past Aberdeen. John O'Groats. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You, you know how... Well, a name like Lindsay, I would, ex- I would expect better. But anyway, hmm. come on, John. I, I've yet to meet a man named Lindsay who has, is appealing in any sort of way. One oh, way that's another. unfair. Name one good Lindsay. Who's a, a man. And actually, quite a few women named Lindsay I'm not all that fond of either. Uh, I am going to go with uh, Lindsay Buckingham. He sucks. <laughs> Just the first one that came He's up. He's like, he was so shitty to Stevie Nicks. Yep, yeah, I'm going to go with Lindsay Adams Buckingham. <laughs> he sucks. Born in Palo Alto, California. If that's the best Lindsay you can come up with, then that's just a testament to how much men named Lindsay suck. See, the, one, like, that, the one that I had in my mind was Robert Lindsay, and that but that doesn't work. That doesn't that doesn't play by the rules. It's like it's like this rule that is apparently well known throughout Hollywood that if you're going to have like a jerky man in your television program or like a, a bad boyfriend in your television program or you, in your movie. You call him Gavin. Yes. Mm. <laughs> We've earned that right. <laughs> oh, it's, it's defamation against Gavins, the Gavins of the world. Because Gavins are good. You're good. We Gavin next door is good. Gavin Newsom is good. I went out. Uh, taking the garbage out the other night and I uh, could hear we Gavin getting around for using bad language uh-huh. well <laughs> we, ca- we can't say I, very much about that I had a we? little chuckle and a smile as I went to the garbage <laughs> good job we Gavin good job and finally Julie Hesmondall is that how you say her name? it is now <laughs> R. Haley has a new book out called An Actor's Alphabet that will make the perfect gift for the Corey fan in your life this Christmas. So go and support her because she's a good person who recognizes that she shouldn't have been playing a trans character and also has done much for the community. Yeah, there was other bits and pieces in the news about her this week and the the strainer that kind of put on her leaving the show was... Well, see... I read that article and the headline doesn't really match what she said. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. She said she was. That's unusual. She said she was losing all ambition because she was in the show and she felt like she would be in the show forever. Oh, that's kind of the opposite the headline then. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I had a hard time. Observe my rewrite there. No, I can see it. It's noted. It's noted, listener. Yeah, and she did say that she was sad when she left, but you know that she did it on, she did it of her own volition, that she chose to leave, and that you know, she's had a good life since. Yeah, and that's Corey News. That's Corey News, which brings us neatly on to World Podcast for Coffee. 
we're on our own coffees again this week. Ah, uh, well, then it's a good thing I'm drinking cranberry juice out of my Mayor McCheese glass because as thick as we've... Mayor McCheese? Mayor McCheese, yes, from McDonald Land. Ugh. Did you not get Mayor McCheese in the UK? I think we killed him. <laughs> Actually, they had to... They had to do away with all of that because they were they were sued by um, um, the television program Puffin Stuff, something like that, which they had basically just lifted all of the characters from and made them cheeseburgers. I find that hard to believe about McDonald's. Mm. Uh, I'm drinking Canada Dry, but my Mr. Osborne is a fanny mug is still here from last week. Yeah. Yeah. I really should take that into the yeah. kitchen and get that washed. Uh, if you want to buy us next week's <laughs> coffee, though, you can go to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And for five bucks, you can get us a gas station Joe or for a little bit extra, you can buy us something nice from Bigby. So if you think this podcast is worth any more than the time required to listen to it, head to kofi.com slash the talk of the street, buy us a coffee. And we'll be very grateful, won't we, Helen? Yes, yes, especially since it's Christmas time and we have gifts to buy and also physical therapist bills to pay. Yeah, let's quickly move on then to, (laughs) and now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. A welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about a smorgasbord of ideas. Ooh la la! French, Swedish. Okay, that's from an IKEA outside Paris. There we go. Right, right. This has something to do with Brian. That's right. This was Sally calling on Maria to a brainstorming session at her place for the Chris, the Christmas market. <laughs> So, all so about all about Brian. I was Gavin, and you hope that Matt Groening is getting residuals for the new COVID variant. It was a very specific reference. It wasn't even a Simpsons reference. It was a Futurama reference. Yes, it was. It was a sleepy, sad morning as the world said cheerio to Stephen Sondheim, and Scott Pilgrim's superhero status was in debate. I had a nice Thanksgiving. I had a nice Thanksgiving, thanks for asking, but too much Jim Beam in the stuffing got us and the kids a little drunk. <coughs> yes, we did not have that problem this year. You didn't get any of the pumpkin pie. I got some this year. Excellent. I was looking forward to getting back to the office for the first time in 20 months. Yeah, I know you wish you could leave it. <sighs> Residents are still blimmin' furious about Max and his hilariously awful video until Daniel gets a look at it and decides that Max... Has talent, apparently. Mm, yes. yes, Fringe is in no mood to drop the small matter of Natasha's murder and puts pressure on Abby with regards to Tessie's gun, which puts further pressure on Roy and his battle with his conscience. <coughs> Despite Craig's best efforts to prevent Faye from returning to work, she goes back to the bistro, forgetting it was the scene of her assault on Adam. Sam is still mute, and while Nick frets about permanent damage to his son's underused vocal cords and Leanne urges patience, the Undertaker does something about it with a lovely act of kindness and understanding, which I think was to do with his telescope, wasn't it? Hmm. Sally and Maria get their heads together and start to make plans for the no-doubt disastrous Christmas market idea, and it wasn't disastrous, it was lovely. Hmm. Remember the Christmas market? 
That's not the one where Shona got shot in the stomach and no, got no, no, brain no, no, damage, right? No, because that was a disastrous one. Yes. This is the one where Billy was playing the piano in the middle of the street. Oh, that's right. Instead of, you know, taking care of Summer. <laughs> right. Zidane is still really bad at laundering money for his ex-father-in-law, and once again, a clandestine meeting with Hashim is overheard by Ryan. Aggie is starting to feel taken advantage of as her babysitting duties appear to escalate. Homeless Kelly is spotted living rough by Billy, who manages to encourage Imran to up his search efforts. Daisy pretends to be Sinead. Carla forgets she's married, and Kirk just wants the sausage. Our moment of the week was The Undertaker's Kindness to Sam, and our boring moment of the week was Daniel being offended at being cropped out of a photo. Whatever happened to The Undertaker's friendship with Sam? I think it went the same way as his house. It's like <laughs> nobody talks about it anymore. It was because he was up in, in the flat looking yeah. at the stars and stuff with Sam. Right, yeah, because, you know, Sam's mum had just died, so obviously the Undertaker was involved in that. Right. In the burying of her, not yeah, in not the, the murdering. Not the execution of her, of her. correct. And that was Coronation Street, and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Oh, yes, please. It's a shortened week this week. Yes, because we are not talking about Sunday, obviously, because that's in the future. Yep. So we're just talking about the episodes that were broadcast in the UK on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. Right. Next week we have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. Oof. Yes, that will be very oofty. However, we have another podcast that we do on Sunday, Monday, so so we can't be doing this one too. Right. And I just like our, we release on a Friday or a Saturday and yeah. Yeah. can forget about it. Yeah. Which is... What most people do, I think. So our first storyline this evening is Homeless (coughs) U2, Babe in the City. Electric Boogaloo. On Wednesday, Homeless U is up with the lark, looking harassed already about getting Eliza ready for school. Yasmin has already taken care of that, and Alia is already braiding her hair. See, this is why it helps to talk to people, Homeless U. Eliza comes down ready to go, keen for Alia to take her to school and disappointed to be left with her homeless granddad. And Alia looks radiant and white this week. She certainly the does. very, very brief bit. We don't get to see her first day in the law office. No. I am disgusted by Th- this. There are several things that we don't get to see this week that I'm disgusted by and that was one of them. Yes. Yeah, uh, Stu is very much well. That's me second best already. <sighs> When did they become such a tryhard? Well, because he's not used to kids. So. He needs a slap. Because let's remember. Let's remember what Nick was like when he first realized he had a son. He was also a tryhard. He continues to be a tryhard. Mm. This is what men are like when they are confronted by children. <laughs> Later, homeless shoes making a casserole. Nothing that little girls love more than a good, rich casserole. It seems Eliza didn't have much to say during the school run, so he talked ten to the dozen, absolutely terrified silence. But he's determined to make her life better than it was with her mum and her gran in their own house. Later, Eliza pretends that she's enjoying the casserole. Homeless Stu just refuses to shut the fuck up for five seconds until Eliza reveals that she has gymnastics practice tonight, which is news to Homeless Stu. So he rushes off to take her there and he rushes back, bringing her home, gymnastics done. And Eliza seems far more happy. She has a list of her weekly activities. There's street dancing, there's drama, there's tennis. Yasmin is worried about Homeless Shoe running himself ragged and suggests enrolling her in Weddy High. But Homeless Shoe thinks she's had enough upheaval. And besides, 
all the places are going to those Iraqi refugees now. And that's as far as we get with that storyline. He's not wrong necessarily that it's not fair About to the take. School? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would keep her in the same school as well, at least for the end of the until the end of the term. Yeah, yeah. It was a rather strange thing for Yasmin to suggest. I would have thought she would have suggested that maybe they split the chores of running Eliza hither and yon. Mm. Does does homeless Stu have a car? I wouldn't have thought so. I think he's Carlos Stu as well, isn't he? Because he took her to school. On the bus. Oh, on the bus. I think. Isn't she old enough to ride the bus by herself? I think she's younger than Hope and Sam. Hmm. Although they say where they high. Yeah. Yeah, they do. So, and I get the impression that Hope's just started at where they high. Yes. So maybe yes. she has the same age as Hope then. Hope, Hope rides the bus with Sam. Crawshaw's just now been introduced to the whole <laughs> Hope, Fizz and Tyrone thing. Yeah, well, we will get to that. Which bit. we will get to later. Mm. Best parents in... <laughs> Good God. But here's uh, Homeless Jude. <coughs> Not exactly being best granddad either. Yes, and and what, do you think, what do you think has turned Eliza somewhat against Homeless Jude? Is it what he represents? I don't think she's turned against him necessarily. I think she just likes hanging out with Alia because Alia's cool and young. And I think, I think, uh, I think Stu can be a bit smothering, and that puts kids off. He's very much smothering. That's mm. I think that's the point. He's a helicopter granddad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would think, you would think, like when she was brought back to the house, all of her activities would have been explained to Stu then. Instead of, oh, by the way, in 10 minutes, I have this thing. Hmm. That's because I like, though. Yeah, but you'd think an adult would have said to Stu, okay, she's got these things. The social worker should have known about these things. Yes. Yeah, apparently uh, the foster parents would have brought her to things. See, I agree that Eliza is very much uh, um, Alia Stan mm-hmm. immediately. But there's something that's not quite, you know, there's something in... Her her pleasure in hanging out with that with Alia that doesn't really need to have her obvious displeasure at having to hang out with homeless shoes. She, she seems, or at least she did at the start of that episode. She seemed just kind of put out by I think having she anything just, to do with them. No, I think she was just sad that Alia couldn't take her. Yeah. Also, kids, as we will discuss later. Yeah. In fact, let's continue to discuss that and move on to our next storyline which is interview with a Harvey <laughs> on Wednesday at the flat Simon is still alive and unimpressed that they're going to take Sam to see Harvey yeah Simon's back where has he been nobody mentions nope. nobody says anything about oh you're back where have you been <laughs> nothing no, I thought he moved in with Peter and Carla and he's He's quite outspoken. He is quite outspoken. It's like, who died and made you boss? Why are you so much? If you'd been here this whole time, you'd know that Nick and Leanne were trying to stop this from happening. Mm-hmm. And it's a You're lot of... a very bad big brother, Simon. Yeah. He's like, well, you guys are the adults. You should be able to just tell them no. <laughs> Have you and, met Sam? And I mean... In Sam, f- come here. You've got to meet this guy. He thinks that they're the adults. In fairness, Simon's not wrong that 
the adults in the house should learn how to say no every once in a while, more in other houses on Coronation Street than this house. Yeah, this house doesn't need a no. This but, house needed a yes a little earlier. But, you know, Sam made a fair argument and the lady said that he's fine. He so he's fine. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Simon's back. And he reminds Nick, who's still sporting a bit of a black eye, and Leanne, that they're the adults in this situation. And Leanne, meanwhile, is dressed as Christmas. Nick jokes that he might ask Harvey for the money for the bistro. Ahead of the meeting, the facilitator promises to take care of Sam's needs and to end the meeting if she needs to. She reminds both Sam and Nick that Harvey also has the right to walk away, so it's best not to provoke him. I'll do my best, says Nick. Which he does, which he proceeds to not do. He doesn't. He doesn't do it at all. No. No, he doesn't even try. So the meeting seems to be taking place during a regular visiting time, and they're in the general population of the visiting hall. They're not in a little private room or anything no. like that. What can I do for you, Pussy? Says Harvey, and that's enough to make Nick furious. Yes. Nobody calls me and my son a lady. Right. This lady, you may call a lady, but this lady is a boy. Etc. Etc. It's it's like which one of them is is the bigger misogynist, the one who thinks that calling them ladies is an insult, Mm. or the one who takes it as an insult. (laughs) Because Sam doesn't fucking care. No, he doesn't care at all. It's Harvey as I go at Nick and his black eyes, suggesting that Leanne likes it a bit rough, and then he goes on about how he hates Americanisms, and the facilitator says, "Look, I'm going to call a timeout here. Sam has been watching." All this going in silence, hasn't said anything, and Harvey is yet to look at Sam and tells them to go mm-hmm. off and have their break. So that's what they do. And off in a little side room, the facilitator and Nick are concerned that Sam hasn't spoken, and Sam <laughs> points out that he's playing the Danish gambit. Yes. He's assessing Harvey, who hasn't looked at him once, and thinks Harvey is nervous of him. Nick isn't believing it. Well, this isn't your fucking shout, says Sam. The facilitator once more tells Nick to wind his neck in. Yes. Back with Harvey, Sam starts asking questions and he shows Harvey a picture of Natasha and asks him how he feels. Harvey gets up to leave and Sam asks him why he's scared and this puts Harvey's ass back in the chair because he ain't scared of nothing. Nope. Harvey is sorry that he didn't kill Leanne instead. Sam is curious about Harvey's upbringing Wondering if he ever killed as a child And Harvey tries to be smart But Sam doesn't rise to it and remains calm Harvey reveals that he didn't torture animals If that's what he's looking for In fact he kicked his mate's head in for being cruel to a dog Sam makes some notes And Nick says oh well you're all heart Well the facilitator kicks Nick (laughs) under the table In the newts So Harvey describes his life with Auntie Sharon and his brother Who he never got on with what about your mum? asks Sam And it seems that she died when Harvey was 14 Kids are always 14 when things happen Ah, says Sam And he writes more notes Did your mum's death put you off the rails? asks Sam Did your mum's death put yours off the rails? replies Harvey And this doesn't knock Sam off his stride at all A bit, he admits But I don't intend to land up where you are And Harvey seems impressed with the kid Harvey asks what Sam would want to do with him because he'd kick cancer's arse if he got the chance it was the cancer that killed his mum. Mm-hmm. So Sam is coming to the end of his questions and he asks Harvey if he'd make the same decisions again and whether his mum would be proud of his choices. And this touches a nerve. Harvey says his mum was wonderful. She had nothing, but would have done anything for anyone. And where did it get her? She ended up dead at 42. Mine died at 40, says Sam. And at this point, he's looking about as upset as he's done 
during any of this. He just had mm-hmm. a little bit of tears in his eyes. My mum sounds an awful lot like your mum, he says. And Harvey shits himself and runs off back to his cell for a good angry cry. There's nothing wrong with that. No. And looks at his his picture of his mum on back the home, wall. Nick is so concerned he's asked Hope over to speak with Sam. <laughs> Sam is glad that he did it, but wished that he had more time. And later, Nick is talking to Leanne and to Simon and says that he's just so proud of Sam. Uh, and he says that he rattled Harvey down to size. Simon's impressed because that was something that he failed to do. And Nick is sure that they'll never hear from Harvey ever again. But then we see Harvey and he has a pick of him and his mum in his cell. And he's, he's deep in thought, reading a Sam letter. But then he goes, apeshit berserker. And trashes his cell and ends up in a heap, crying. Quite emotional. Quite emotional. I see this getting a little bit of complaints about how Sam is kind of pulling a bit of a Jodie Foster and Silence of the Lambs here. Right. But I think this is entirely in character for Sam to be <coughs> entirely like this. Yeah. And Harvey talking about his mum maybe is a little bit of an easy out. Mm. But when you're talking to the son of a woman that you killed right? and the wee boy is drawing comparisons between mm-hmm. his mum and your mum, your mum, I think I cannot it kind of made sense to me. And I thought mm-hmm. the bit where he was talking about did it knock you off the rails? Mm-hmm. And when Sam said a little yeah. bit, oh my God. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. it was just beautifully done. Yeah. Will Miller and we Jude yeah. together were... They were very good. I didn't, I didn't need anything else. <sighs> it just the two of them together were just wonderful. I just wish wonderful. Nick wasn't there. I know, I wish Nick wasn't there. Because well. I, I, kept, I kept shouting, shut up! Uh-huh. At, at the screen like every time he said something because it was just so ridiculously just the lamest comebacks and it's like he's not even talking to you he's talking to the kid in fairness i don't think harvey has ever been presented to us as like a serial killer no or you know a, a hardened murderer he's a hoodlum he's a gangster he's a drug dealer mm. You know, and and so I I can kind of understand the softening here more than if he was originally presented to us like this cold-blooded killer type. Now, there has been some speculation because he does mention his brother. Yes. You don't mention a brother Mm. without the chance of a brother turning up mm-hmm. right because we already know auntie sharon we do she tased jenny remember <laughs> yes she did <laughs> oh good times bring some wee smile to my face just because not because i want anything to ever happen to our jenny but just the acting done there was just so funny it was funny <laughs> it was so there's there's speculation that uh, a a, car- a person who has been announced as coming onto the show soon, in relation to another storyline, mm. might also be connected here. So we will see. Yeah, there was another little sweet bit where I think I think it might have been when Harvey's talking about uh, the trauma of losing his mother, and and Sam makes it ah those mm-hmm. and starts writing his notes, and he, he says that what was it? There was a some acute traumatic 
childhood events or something mm-hmm. like that. These yeah. are common, and if you and eighty percent of people who right. are in jail say that they've had three or more of these things. Mm-hmm. And Harvey's like, "Is this kid for real?" Mm-hmm. And Nick, Nick's smiling back at Harvey at this point, uh-huh. but kind of proud of Sam, saying, "Don't right. don't underestimate him." Yeah. Like, what are you telling them that for? Right. <laughs> just Nick, shut up. Yeah. Just smile and be proud. Right. So on Thursday. <sighs> In the bistro, Debbie has arranged for people to come and view the property. She reminds Leanne that if they can't stump up the money, they can always sell their share. Not going to happen, says Leanne. And later, Debbie is shown off the place to prospective buyers. Debbie is showing one of them round claiming that the place is jumping at the weekend. And Leanne tells the other one that it's empty at the weekend. It's only rats that get a good meal here. And the only thing cooking is the books. So at the end of the tour, the buyers announced that they won't be making an offer, claiming that the location wasn't what they were looking for. Debbie smells a rat and knows that Leanne scuppered her deal. She's been straight with Leanne and Nick from the start. Leanne says, you're trying to sell the place from under us. And Debbie quite rightly says, yep, I'm doing it to your face. Right, You're yeah. stabbing me in the back. Right. So she reminds them of their contract, which allows her to sell the entire business if she can get an offer above market rate. In other words, she can force them to sell their share yeah. and get it right fucking up you, she says. Yes. Back home, Nick is going through the contract and Debbie is right. And then he gets a call from Karis, who is the facilitator woman, I believe, letting them know that Harvey wants to meet Sam again. And Leanne ins- insists that this time she's coming along. Oh, ha, ha, ha. I don't know why she's insisting that. but Because Nick's bad at this. <laughs> but Sam got his closure. Sam came away from that, I think, quite happy with the outcome he wanted mm-hmm. more time right now he's getting more time well even if that hadn't happened i think he would have been satisfied with what he got right but because all all sam wanted to do really was fill in the blanks here of this the shadow of a monster who killed mm-hmm. his mother and mm-hmm. now he's had that he's had right. that chance to see what he's like and, he's and realize that kind he's of just, a nasty bit of work but but he's, he's also had a, a bad human up, being yep, yeah he's had a bad upbringing he's had a tough upbringing right maybe that's explained some of it maybe it doesn't but at least he's been able to answer some of his questions so i don't yes. even know that sam would be that bored if they had any more interaction at all with harvey mm-hmm. but he's getting it anyway he's, he's getting it anyway and it's getting Leanne sometime to get in right. front of him because yeah. it almost seems that Leanne has some unfinished business that she mm-hmm. wants to take care of although she's going to see him before already tell him mm-hmm. to stop right but that was the, different the whole this, letters is, thing. this is a little bit more close to what Sam is getting mm-hmm. whereas before it was her playing the tough the tough guy and making assumptions and stuff mm. where are you with the uh, Debbie selling the bistro. I don't know. I mean, they're not going to bring in new people to run the bistro. I wouldn't have thought so. You would think that Nick and Leanne are either going to find the money somehow somewhere, find the, find the money, sell Simon. They could sell Simon. That's definitely an option, especially <laughs> with that attitude. Yeah. Or they could sell their flat and move in with, with everybody over at Gail's house. That house isn't full enough yet. I mean, it, it's good for Debbie to get out of the bistro because she's, she's chained to it. Mm-hmm. You only ever see her clopping mm-hmm. about, as we spoke about. You only see her clopping about in the bistro, not really getting involved in very much outside of it. But I'm kind of worried that if she, if she didn't have the bistro... What would she have? And if she didn't have her hotels, what's she going to do? Right. And, you know, we mostly just see Jenny in the 
rovers and we mostly just see Roy in Nina's roles. It's like so you put a car away in a garage until you need it. Right. And that's kind of what's happening with these characters. Like Jenny's in the rovers and mm-hmm. Debbie's in the bistro. And then once they're involved in a storyline, you can take, take them, them out, out of that and put them somewhere else. But for the time being, until a storyline comes along, I don't see right. anything wrong with Debbie just being the kind, she's of, f- kind of snarky owner she, of the bistro. And she's fun in the bistro. She is. She's got great singers. <laughs> and she's got some good put downs as well. Right. Yeah. You know. And at least we still occasionally see her from time to time when people go to the bistro. It's not like Simon, who is shut up in the attic until he's Well, needed. now we know why. <laughs> until he's, he's a grumpy sod when he comes down. Until he's needed to yell at people. <laughs> is Ronnie still at the Rovers? Or is he... No, he, yeah, he's... Well, he stays at Debbie's most nights now. Which but he still has where? his place. Who knows? Presumably at... One of the hotels, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the fact that the fact that these storylines are kind of going along together kind of suggests that they're going to come together at some point a little bit more. Right. So we will, I guess... We'll see, see what when that, we get there. See what that has to offer. But yeah, for the, for the moment, I was really, really pleased with the, the Sam and Harvey meeting. It was much better than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And it was much more emotional than I thought it was going mm-hmm. to be. It was like, my God. Without being, without being treacly. No. And the start of it, when he's refusing to make eye contact and he's, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was just pitched really, really well. And right. it's obvious that Sam's done his homework because yeah. of course Sam's done his homework. Why and wouldn't he? And of course he would use a chess move on Harvey. Right. Yeah. That was great stuff. He's playing chess. Well, Harvey's playing checkers. Sure. And so is Nick. Nick and Harvey are Nick's, playing Nick's just watching. Checkers. Let's, let's be honest. Moving on then, our next storyline is Ken's casting couch. On Wednesday, uh-huh. Ken is on the phone to Wendy complaining about the play that he's basically written. Rather than a big nose, Brian is going to have big ears so it's a kind of Serrano de Bergerac kind of thing that they're doing why why does he have to have either <laughs> what is going on here at, at no point at no point before this week when they've been discussing this play and the characters has anybody said oh the twist here is that he's got a big ear He's already got a big forehead. Why don't you just use what Brian has naturally? <laughs> uh, yeah, Ken says that this is going to make him look like Mr. Spock, but Mr. Spock didn't have big ears. Mr. Spock had pointy ears. Gary Lineker, he's got big ears. Along comes Mary looking to run through the lines before rehearsal. She's been tossing herself all night. <clears throat> I was just, I was just really pleased that Ken knew who Mr. Spock was. Really? Yeah. You'd think that maybe Ken hadn't seen Star Trek? It's quite possible. He's he's very snooty. Now we know that Star Trek exists in the, in, in, the Coronation Street In the universe. Coronation Street cinematic universe, yes. Right. So anyway, Mary's been tossing herself all night. But not like that. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> she has little experience in being wooed, so Ken Ken's wanting to put her off because he's got other people to see. Right, yeah, he's going to meet an old friend. So just tells her to channel her inner Joan Crawford. At rehearsal, Brian is testing out his new ears, which are sort of in proportion to his head. 
He calls himself Georgel Bank on Legs. Ken explains how fretful Mary was. Brian and Nigel, the director, are surprised as she's been pitching the role perfectly. But then Mary arrives and following Ken's advice, she cranks it up to a million and grabs Brian's ears like she's holding on for dear life. Where on the earth has this come from? When you say chewing the scenery, mm-hmm. this is what I imagine. Yes. You yes. think I would... What was that? You think I would disown you because of your... Yes. Right. She's she's trying very hard to do that sort of mid-Atlantic accent that lots of actors in the 30s and 40s would have. Yeah. You know, the intonations of... The silver screen. Mm-hmm. Your accent, then. Yes. <laughs> but she's doing it to a million. Right. And she's putting in Which enormous... Which is very Joan Crawford. And putting in enormous pauses that uh, Brian's like, what are you looking at? And right. have you forgotten your line? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> very amusing. Back at rehearsal and Mary is still Joan Crawfording the whole place out. Brian's not much better and the script is utter dog shit. Mary takes a break, which allows Brian and, and the director to give Ken a bit of a kick in about the Joan Crawford thing. In the pub, everyone tries to give Mary hints to wind her performance in a bit, but Mary has discovered a new lease of life with Joan Crawford's influence. She leaves them to it. Nigel, though, has an acting friend, he says, that's in the area, and he wants to give the role to her now. But Brian insists that if Mary's cut, then he's going to quit too, and also Ken is going to say he's not going to do any more script doctoring, to which no one would miss. Right, yes. And it's also very funny that Nigel thinks that his acting friend, who is an actor professionally, would just drop everything and be in this stupid little play. Well, and yet. But anyway, they ask if the acting friend would rather just coach Mary than actually take her part. Which is far more believable. And Nigel has to relent. So on Thursday, in Nina's roles, Nigel, Brian and Ken are chatting about Nigel's friend who has agreed to come along to rehearsals later. Yes, and for some reason, Nigel still hasn't referred to his friend by her actual name. No. Which, which, which is strange. Is strange. Nigel asks Brian to warn Mary ahead of time. And Brian shits himself a bit. But he meets up with Mary later. And he very clumsily reminds her that she has stuff to learn about acting. And then reveals Nigel's friend shall be mentoring her. And Mary takes us as you would expect. Yes. Badly. Yes. So at rehearsals, they're having a little chit-chat about who this new mm-hmm. uh, actor could be and hopefully she'll be able to, to help Mary out. And then round the corner comes Stephanie fucking Beecham from Dynasty. Stephanie Beecham from Dynasty, says Ken, practically coming in his pants at the sight of another of his old flames. This is Martha. Martha lived on a canal boat and she and Ken had a torrid affair in 2009 while Ken was still married to Deirdre. So, Stephanie Beecham makes it clear that she's not here to shag Ken. She's here to fix this stupid play and she starts working with Mary's voice projection and breathing, which of course Mary is doing all wrong. I hear this all the time mm-hmm. from actor people uh-huh. and singing people yep. that you're not breathing right. Yeah. You should be breathing from your diaphragm. Correct. I have no idea what that means. Your diaphragm is this organ down here at the bottom of your... I know that. Right. And so you collect, you use your diaphragm, which is basically this big massive kind of muscly thing to gather the air 
for your lungs and have that do all the work. And that way you can expand and have more breath. I've been doing it for years. And that doesn't help. It does. It doesn't. It does. It doesn't because I still don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, but you're not doing it. You're not breathing from your diaphragm. Because telling me to do that doesn't tell me how to do that. It's like saying to somebody, wiggle your nose if (laughs) if they've never wiggled their nose before. See, you can't wiggle your nose. I can wiggle my nose. You can't, and it's so cute. <laughs> like a wee rabbit. You are like a wee mm-hmm. rabbit. <laughs> anyway, diaphragm schmeierfram. So, Stephanie Beecham promises to stay around for a bit to continue helping them all. Brian is curious to know how Ken and Stephanie Beecham know each other. Ken says, oh, we were just good friends a long, long time ago in a way that lets everyone know that they've seen each other naked. <laughs> Privately at the bar, Stephanie Beecham wants to know what Ken meant. He says he didn't want to make her uncomfortable after he broke her heart all those years ago. You arrogant prick, says Stephanie Beecham. And she As calls if him, she's never met Ken before. And she calls him a mere footnote in her life. Methinks Stephanie Beecham from Dynasty doth protest too much. So Stephanie Beecham says, fuck it. And she storms out. And Nigel tells Ken that he has to get her back. Or this show is going to be utter shite. Yeah. Brian says, your problem, you fix it. Yeah. And that's as far as we get with that this week. This think, was hilarious. I think Nigel has a thing for Stephanie Beecham as well. Well, who wouldn't? You know, the way, and you know, and, and it, she seemed, there seems to have been some history there as well, the way she kind of leaned against his shoulder and patted him and stuff. So that's actors for you though, isn't it? Nigel still has not come out of the closet. It's very sad. Hmm. When, when will he... Stop this pretending by by using older women as beards. <laughs> oh, who was it? Was after Wendy, wasn't it? Yes, mm. yes. He's like a young Ken Barlow, only gay. Yeah, and Welsh. Yes. Yeah, I thought this was hilarious from Mary's performance, which was typically over the top. Right. From, and Mary, when she was even just entering the scene, she kind of jogs across to her uh-huh. to a spot that just had me creased up as well. Right, yeah, she was so excited about it. I don't like this, like, pretending that Mary hasn't had this weird, interesting life, though, because she has discussed torrid affairs that she has had in the past. So now that we're, now we're acting like none of that was real... Like all of these stories that she had from her past before she came to live on Coronation Street. Yeah, and she's had her, her Ben Shepherd blanket for God knows how long. So right, yeah. She knows all about passion. Seriously. Yeah, it was kind of a weird thing for them to have Mary say. It bothered me. It was almost like they were just saying it so it would give an excuse to get Stephanie Beecham back in it. Would you make a Ken's eyes as they practically popped out of his head when he saw Stephanie Beecham standing across from him again? I felt bad for Wendy. Well, right, because... This is, this is going to be a problem. We're making out that Ken's a, a reinvigorated, complete horn dog now. Mm-hmm. Who is now, I guess, going to be juggling... Two ladies. Juggling two ladies. It's funny. Uh, uh, well, it's getting it's played for laughs. I think I do. Th- I do agree. I think it's going to be a shame for 
for Wendy because Wendy know? didn't want to get involved with him again in the first place, really. Do you know what I would prefer? What? For some of the older ladies on the street to be getting some instead of Ken. Let's well, bring back some of Rita and Audrey's old flames, shall we? I know most of them are dead, but <laughs> still. Well, I guess the comeuppance is going to happen when Wendy and Stephanie Beach well, yes, but, realize but, but still. and then go for a threesome with Nigel. Who then realizes that he is gay after all. And yes, he is indeed gay. <laughs> and then Billy comes along. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Two beards for the price of one. With a, they both have like a little bit of gray in their beards, which mm. is nice. Now, like yours. I've got more than a little gray. I've trimmed it so it doesn't look quite as bad. It looks whiter when it's longer. My darling. Yeah. You never look bad. <laughs> there we go. So I was chatting with that Jackie one on the Twitter uh, this week and she'd mentioned a long-running family joke where they imagined that Ken Barlow is obviously very well endowed, which is why he's had so many partners. But then mm-hmm. they also do this thing where every photo on Corypedia is every character reacting to Ken getting his cock out. So <laughs> so name name a, a Cory character. Roy. Well, I was hoping you were going to say Roy. <laughs> so Corypedia this picture of Roy is Roy reacting to Ken getting his cock out. Oh, let me get my glasses back on. That's kind of just basically what Roy looks like, though, isn't it? Well, he kind of looks a little, a little, a little <laughs> distressed, just, doesn't it? It's Roy's face. Okay, give us another one. <laughs> Glenda. Oh, I haven't checked Glenda. Because she makes some very good faces in her short time. So this is Glenda Shuttleworth reacting to seeing Ken getting his cock out. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> that's about right. This is a fabulous I think, game. I think I think she would definitely I don't I don't think she'd mind a little uh aged sausage. I wish we'd played this game yesterday instead of code names. Just look up characters. This is inappropriate on, for children. Just look up Corypedia pictures and imagine that that's what they're reacting to. Yeah, that's that's funny. It is. Probably. What would your face look like? What would, your, what would be your reaction? Yeah, I think it'd be that. I kind of mm. decent. Mm. What would your reaction be? Oh, oh, poor Ken. It was cold. <laughs> anyway. The water was cold. <laughs> I'd got a fright. So, moving on then. Our next storyline is Bad Max 3 Racist Road on Wednesday later. Later? Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't sure where the scene went because it kind of did the old straddle two storylines. Mm-hmm. I ended up throwing it in here, but really as a, a part of the Bistro story that Leanne is looking up payday loans presumably to get a £12,000 loan to buy the bistro from a payday loan company right not the smartest thing Leanne's ever done no anyway, but she's desperate Toya comes in to talk about the drastic change in Spider's personality that he's gone from being eco-warrior to white supremacist and she can't work out why well that's exactly what Griff did yeah 
Leanne thinks that if she's going to listen to this, she might as well be drunk. So she suggests that they head out for a boozy lunch. And at first, Toya protests because she doesn't want to be a bother to Leanne. Mm -hmm. But then Leanne points out that she needs the distraction because Nick and Sam are out speaking to Harvey. Mm -hmm. And so that changes everything for Toya. Now she's the caregiver again. Mm, And then she agrees. In the pub, Griff and Spider are chatting. It seems Max doesn't respond to Griff's texts. Jenny, who has allowed the racist gang in the pub for long enough, seems more concerned about the speed at which they're drinking their pints. Toya and Leanne come in and see them. Leanne wants to leave, but Toya's had a few drinks and are already so decides that she's not running away from anything. So instead she starts throwing barbs at Spider and Griff and Leanne can't resist joining in until Jenny's finally had enough and throws the two of them out. Spider Griff, and Griff, Griff that and Spider, is, yeah. you know, Leanne and Toya. They're allowed to stay. On Thursday, on the street, Maria approaches Max and tells him to take his fake racist video down. Max says that he's 100% behind Griff and he isn't racist and there's nothing wrong with the video. Maria points out that it was edited, but Max doesn't shift and tells Maria to bolt. Back at Racist HQ, Griff is complaining about Maria's plans to turn the community centre into a refugee centre. Typical, says Spider. These days you can't say you're English without getting thrown in jail. But Griff has a plan. Uh oh. And in the bistro, <clears throat> Gary and Maria are making plans to see the community centre to scope it out for their plans to show Griff what's what. So they go to the community centre and, and Maria is explaining her vision to Gary ahead of a meeting with Munir, the refugee spokesperson. And all the plan seems to be is to have a desk with some leaflets from the Citizens Advice Bureau. Right. And that seems to be it. And and have some like people there who can speak to to refugees and help them out. Yeah. Occasionally. Yeah. It's at not, the desk. It's not a huge enterprise right. by any means. They're not taking means, over the community center. Right. But outside they run into Griffin Spider handing out protest leaflets saying that the residents will lose services because of the refugee center. Racists love a bit of leaflets. Mariah 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 Carey accuses them <laughs> Maria accuses them of scaremongering scaremongering about it and takes a piss out of Griff for his heavily edited video Maria leaves and Griff sees Max shuffling away on the other side of the street mm-hmm. Griff approaches him and Max says that he's just keeping his head down for David's sake Griff says that he thought Max could think for himself back at Racist HQ Griff wants him to focus on Max he's the future he's like garlic bread Max needs a new family like them, and Spider is 100% behind Griff. Griff thinks it's time for Spider to prove that. He's like, he's young, white, and working class. Right. The perfect thing for us. Right, which is kind of what I've been complaining about all along, the right. whole working class thing, but right. I guess that's what we're going for. In the pub, Maria is still fuming about the leaflets in the fake video and doesn't want to let Griff get away with it. No one is losing any services because of this initiative, she says. And she said that very clearly to Griff mm-hmm. as well, who chose to ignore it. Right, because facts are just inconveniences to certain people. Right. So, and I mean, Griff knows. Griff knows that his leaflets are lies. The whole point is to scare people, you know, with things that are not true. He knows they're not true. To get to his ends, he thinks the right. ends justify the means. Absolutely. Where are you on? On Max in this because he was very in Maria's face when mm-hmm. Maria was uh, approaching them about the, the, video. the video. 
told her to mind her own business and just jog on and all that sort of stuff. Even though mm-hmm. Maria's always had a decent enough relationship with Max and um, and said, you know, this made me look really, really bad. And mm-hmm. it's kind of thanks to you. And he, he didn't care about it. So right. he was very uh, much full of the bravado at that point. But then right. when we see him with Griff and Spider later, he is, he's, he's almost like he's embarrassed to be seen with them. Yeah. Or so it seemed. Right. He can he can talk a big game around people that he knows that he's comfortable with, that he knows are are going to care about him no matter what he says and does. It's like the way that he treats David and Shona. He, he knows that they're always going to let him back in and they're always going to forgive him. You know, there are no consequences, so he can say what he wants. Mm. And Maria's kind of the same thing, you know. And And I think he just... I mean, you know what kids are like. He doesn't want to be told off, even when he knows that the other person is right. Yeah, it did seem to be a little bit of a uh, constructed on the end of last week when seeing the video of Darren's assault was very much given uh, Max some pause and and everything. Yes, and and and. Griff's reaction to that by mm-hmm. very much seeming to threaten him. Yeah. And then the conversation that had with Racist Kelly later did seem to suggest that he's having second thoughts about it. And this kind of avoided meeting with Griff and Spider in the street mm-hmm. sort of backed it up. So I was kind of wondering if if maybe that is a thing. But I don't know. Just that reaction to Maria made me think that he's maybe not fully understood where his heart is in this, if it's Mm. in it at all or if it's not in it. And in fairness, teenage boys don't know where their hearts are even when they're not racist pricks. Mm. So if there's something that's going to get bombed, I think it's going to be the community centre. If if that's where we're going and I'm I think racists need to bomb things. I think that's, that's where we're going. I mean... Everybody's pissed Griff off, so it really could be anywhere. Mm. It could be, you, you know, it could be the Rovers because they're banned there now. Mm-hmm. It could be Speed Doll because because Muslims. Obviously, right. mm-hmm. It could be Roy's Rolls because Roy showed them up. Mm-hmm. It could be anywhere. It's kind of, and I think that's kind of it's that's kind of the point is that one by one people are realizing what a dick this guy is and that he's not the kind of person they want around. And so the walls are kind of closing in on Griff, which is going to make him even more extreme and more desperate right. to, to prove that he's right. Yeah. I'm concerned about the whole, you know, claiming that the community center won't, won't provide as many services to the real citizens. The, 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 yeah, the people who have worked there and lived there all their lives, the ones that deserve it, the ones that are paying for all this. Right. Yes, because apparently immigrants don't don't pay taxes. That's not true. Well, asylum seekers aren't allowed to work, so they don't. But that's not the same as an immigrant. Right, yeah. Yeah, he's acting like... And he's kind of... He's one of those people that kind of mash all of those things together. Yeah. You know, at which even Gary tried to point out to him, look, these are people running away from war. Mm-hmm. This is not some simple thing. Right. 
you know, they're not coming here for fun. Can you see Spider getting caught up in this a little bit too much? Wouldn't that be a, a, a turn up for the books that the undercover cop ends up becoming so so much a part of the organization that he doesn't he, he forgets what his job is well, kind of thing. you know you hear stories of people who are undercover for like years mm-hmm. and are kind of forced to do really abominable things to other people because you know not to blow their cover and how you know that yeah, tons that's of that not sort of exactly the most in Northern Ireland during the Troubles ethical thing in the world mm. to to occur i'm just shocked that griff believes spider because <laughs> i wouldn't believe spider no the minute he opens his he's mouth so fake i know he's not very good at this but you know griff believes him now because he dumped toya right i still think he should have just probably told toya right or recused them from the Mm-hmm. Accuse himself from the situation. Right. The fact the fact that the, the the fact that the police have not said, right, this is this this situation has become untenable for you because these are people you know. This is a community that you used to live in. So it's it's not great for you to be this person anymore. Yeah. We're gonna swap you out with somebody else. Yes, it's far too close to home. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's like the fact that Craig walks the streets of Weatherfield as a as a copper and how that would never happen. But they did, they, they, to be fair to them, they played that properly to start with and then COVID happened. Because Craig said before COVID, you know, I won't be stationed here because they won't allow me to be, um, they won't even allow me to come home in my my uniform mm-hmm. and then COVID happened and they had to forget about that right because they couldn't get any other people right. coming to work so. yeah all right <sighs> moving on then our penultimate storyline today is summer temp <sighs> this week summer is wearing a pink puffy jacket a summer green and breeze. red christmas jumper over a blue and white spotty dress on thursday why what <laughs> I understand. I understand them trying to make her seem young, but I think now that she's been knocked up, I think we could stop that now. I think we could stop dressing her like a child now because that makes it kind of creepy. Somebody said on Twitter that she's a, she's a sad walking jumble sale. <laughs> and I, I thought that was absolutely spot on. If a jumble sale could be sad, mm. it, would, it would look like summer. Jumbo sales can be sad. I've been to a few sad ones myself. At the Young Crew flat, Employee of the Month Summer is running late. She has a pile of filing to do and she's feeling sick. So Jacob says that he'll go and he'll start her filing job for her. And Amy's not too happy about this. Amy's happy that Jacob wants to help but thinks he maybe is going to get into trouble about this. Right. And later... Summer finally arrives at work in the factory just like moments ahead of Carla who has returned from an important meeting in Leicester. Carla immediately is looking for a file that she can't find and when Summer can't find it either but Jacob knows where it is, Summer is forced to confess that she was feeling a bit dodgy earlier. She was dogging her work and Jacob helped out. So Carla is furious saying that you both know 
your job descriptions right because it's right. me that gives you them so she gives them both a warning yes <clears throat> later someone has managed to put in half an hour of work and she blames her diabetes but Carla would prefer her being straight rather than getting her mates to cover for her Carla unwarnings her and Jacob Summer wants to prove that she can do her own filing thank you very much Carla's going soft yeah and let's just remember that Summer is Oxford quality at the end of the day, Summer gets home and there's a need for orange juice and toast and she's got she still hasn't finished her work. Right, yeah, she just came home to get an orange juice because her sugar was low and it's mm-hmm. like shouldn't you maybe have like some orange juice there in the fridge at work? Yeah, and you're you're making yourself look kinda comfortable there. You're taking your jacket off and stuff and Right. And Aaron runs about to make her her peanut butter and toast and get her her orange juice. And it seems that Summer has no end of people willing to run around for her. It's so nice to see British people using peanut butter correctly. And then Jacob takes her laptop off her to finish off her work for her. He's learned nothing. <laughs> no. And that's as far as we get that this week. And I'm like, <sighs> Amy, Amy's piss is going to boil. Eventually. If... If Jacob loses his job because of this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what more we can say. <laughs> Tell what? Carla. No more. Tell someone. <laughs> I think we have said, and other people have said, just constantly, 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 and it is no fault of Harriet at all, but this... <sighs> Stop trying to make us like this character because it's not working. I don't know if that's Just what they're trying to do. Put her away and let's have some interesting storylines with people we haven't seen in months. Because there's a lot of them. Or have those four kids do something fun or something else that's interesting. I don't know that they're trying to make Summer likeable at all by this. Because it seems that every decision that they make for her is making it worse. Seriously. Who did she piss off in the writer's room? That's just what I want to know. Because it's just, it seems masochistic at this point. The things that they do to that poor girl. You know, from the wardrobe to the storylines. It's just, stop. (laughs) Scripticine said something on Twitter along the lines of, Big storylines don't make for big character changes. Mm-hmm. And they don't. It's, no. It's, you have a character that's established that goes through a big storyline and mm-hmm. then you feel invested in it a little bit better because you've seen this character develop over time right. and, and stuff like that. So you can have a big storyline thrown at, in Amy's direction because we know Amy. Mm-hmm. We've seen Amy grow up. We've, we've seen her develop as a character. We've seen her become more of a... A, a matriarch almost in at number one than her mum was. And know. in her friend group. And see, this is the thing. We've seen Summer grow up. You know, this should be an established character for us. But with the head change, they gave her like a complete personality change. And I think that's what puts people off. Mm. Is that they they decided to just completely change who she was. And so it irritates people to have this kid that used to be, you know, the most well-rounded of her friends, the one with the best head on her shoulders, who was quiet, 
and a little sarcastic, but not much, and was into robots and science and stuff, and was caring and kind. And now she just moans and everything's about her and Mm -hmm. she's very, very selfish and Mm self-centered and not bright at all. No. Where where did that bright kid go? Right. Yeah. And and again, this is nothing about the actor. It's about how the character is written now, which is completely not the the character that we've seen grow up. No, the smart characters ended up being Sam. And they've made the Sam character kind of interesting. Now, I know not everyone is a Sam fan. No. But... You can have more than one smart kid on the street. Mm. But it seems like everything that's that's kind of tailored in that direction gets thrown to Sam. It's like they said, well, this hasn't worked out. Let's try again with Sam this time mm-hmm. and see if it works again. It's working out fine there. But it's imagine if you took that Sam character and just made him a kind of male equivalent to Summer overnight. Right would just it'd just be ridiculous. And you wouldn't buy into it because you'd be like, well, what happened to this kid? Right. What happened to this kid that could talk to a killer and 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 win? Right. And in fairness, Max had a bit of a change, you know. But it was a change that made sense because he was getting older and and it was it made sense because it was already established that he had a learning disability already before the head change and it, and they tied a lot of his frustrations and a lot of the things that he's acting out about upon the fact that he was frustrated with his schooling and so it developed from a place that we already knew mm. so him not being kind of the sweet shy boy anymore and being a jackass made sense because we saw how that developed from something that he had in with both heads. Mm-hmm. Whereas Summer is just completely 100% different. And it just doesn't make any sense. And I think it frustrates people. And I think that there's a, the occasional moment where they remember that what, what that character has been from the start. And mm-hmm. they, they try and throw in little bits and pieces to to remind you that this is the same the same character but I don't know it's just she just seems far too far away from that now oh well moving on to our final storyline this week is the book of Stape on Wednesday Tyrone is keeping check on the Stape book plummeting down the charts and being quite happy about it Fizz wants her private stash taken care of so Tyrone promises to bag them up later meanwhile Hope is oddly keen to get to school hmm and Ty and Fizz are thrilled about this right yeah they're not suspicious at all no why would why would they be suspicious so tyrone is i think he's acting a little story out in his head as he eats his banana or something as he goes out to the shed and discovers that all the books are gone what the actual fuck and yet john stape is still there yeah because at school hope is doing her sales pitch all he wanted to do was teach she insists which is pretty funny Hmm. and he was willing to kill for it (laughs) so Fizz and Tyrone meet up in the pub Ty thanks Fizz for taking care of the books but obviously she hasn't done it so where are they and then we see Hope back in school selling signed copies of the book for a fiver Mm -hmm. reckoning that they'll be worth 50 quid with her autograph the books are selling like hotcakes but remember they were 16 quid Mm -hmm. to start with I think yeah she's selling them for five right yes (laughs) well she's not losing any money no 
and Tyrone's already spent it. Right. But this is what they call a lost leader. Right. Back home, Hope hurriedly hides her money. Fizz and Tyrone come in and, no surprise, they reckon that Hope's uh, moved the books. But they're not angry. And she tells them that she threw them in a skip with Cinco Leo. That's fine, says Tyrone. <laughs> and Fizz apologises for something and no one is sure what. Hope goes to see Sam and explains that she sold £75 worth of books and had some year 11 girls talk to her. She reckons that she's dead popular now and refuses to heed Sam's warning that these people are ripping the piss out of her. But at home, Hope is getting rave reviews by text and promises a mega stunt tomorrow. The legacy of Michael Myers lives on, she says. Evil dies tonight. (laughs) On Thursday, Hope is up bright and breezy and polishing her own shoes and when Sam comes round and Tyrone offers to give them a ride to school, she asks if they can get the bus instead. This leaves her with an empty house, so with Sam standing guard on the door, she goes to retrieve something that she'll need for later. Right, and again, Hope is polishing her own shoes and wanting to ride the bus Mm -hmm. instead of getting a ride to school, and neither one of her parents are suspicious about any of this. Nope. So Hope has got Tyrone's toolbox out, and and she nicks one of Tyrone's hammers, and she hides her money in the tea tin in the cupboard. At the factory, Fizz is worried that Beth has been weird to her. Why she cares is anyone's guess. Sally tells her to ignore it and promises that she's not going to be reading the book. Separately, Beth has the book in the factory and shows it off to the girls, explaining the bits about John and Rosie, which gets Sally furious and gets her eyes out on stalks as she reads just a couple of pages that the book dedicates to it. Yeah. What... <laughs> She was kidnapped. Did, Twice. No, no, I know. I know. Uh, Sally being shocked that this would be mentioned in this book. Of course, this was a, is the thing. This it's was like, an important part she, of the, the state story. Did she did she not think that they were going to mention this bit? Right. Tyrone gets back home with a flat packed desk for hope. Fizzy's ovaries quake with admiration here. It seems that Tyrone's flat pack building skills have come up in couples counselling. So she tells him to read the instructions properly and all the way through, Tyrone goes off to get his tools. This is pretty funny. The fact that they talked about it in counselling. I feel for Fizz here. (laughs) At school, Hope announces that she's doing a new reading at five quid a pop. Pay for the whole seat, she says. You're only going to need the edge. That was excellent. That was hilarious. (laughs) Later, Fizz catches Sally reading the book in the middle of the working day. She explains about the rosy bit. Beth saying that she was entitled to know what the book said. Fizz points out that Rosie sold her story to the press. And Sally says that she was kidnapped twice and blames Fizz for not stopping the book getting published. Fizz points out that Hope is the real victim here. Yeah, and she's only 11. Then Carla comes out and catches them all. She tells Fizz to go home and calls Beth into her office. Sally gets away with it. Yeah. In the office, Carla's shocked at Beth's lack of loyalty and again threatens to suspend her. Beth apologises again, promises it won't happen again, and she gets away with a final warning. Yeah, what has happened to our Carla? I know. Back home, Fizz is complaining about Sally to Tyrone, who's having a hard enough job concentrating on building a desk, but he's doing a good job. Fizz goes to get some tea and discovers Hope's money, just as Ty discovers that his hammer's missing. How did he build that desk without a hammer? Sometimes you just get the little... Is it just the Allen wrench? Things, yeah. At school, a bunch of kids have turned up for Hope's talk and she overhears them calling her a psycho nut job. So she grabs Ty's hammer and asks them to repeat themselves. 
Fizz goes back to the factory and Beth and Sally apologise, both of them finally appreciating how hard it must be for her. Just at that, she gets a call from Tyrone. The school want to see both of them. Now. <laughs> so Tyrone and Fizz meet Mrs Croshaw in Daniel's old, class, old classroom. And it's quite funny because they're sitting at the desks mm-hmm. and it's kids' desks. So they're obviously adults sitting at a kid's desk looking like they're about to get a row from the, right. the teacher. And they're both like, it can't be anything bad. Well, Tyrone says at uh, Hope's old school, they had their own parking space. Which Right, which Crosshaw's like, what? <laughs> it, it's like, it's like read the room, Tyrone. Crosshaw explains that Hope reenacted John Stapes' murder of Charlotte Hoyle with a hammer in front of her classmates. And we didn't get to see it. No. I'm furious about that. Yes. Almost as furious as I am to not get to see Alia's first day of work. Screams of the children attracted a teacher and she's been selling copies of the book and she has a murder weapon. Tyrone points out that it's not a murder weapon, it's just his hammer. Crawshaw is left with no alternative but to suspend hope for a week. And she says that, and she brightly points out that this has traumatised a lot of the people who were there at the time <laughs> and that one teacher has, has decided to put in for early retirement because he was so re-traumatised by this because he was friends with Charlotte and it, it's like <laughs> Fizz and Tyrone are just they just compl- are completely lack empathy for anybody other than themselves it's so odd because they they don't even seem they're, they're still trying to make excuses for Hope here oh 100% they're shocked that she's been suspended for the week oh do you have to suspend her well Yes. She was reenacting a murder with an actual weapon right. in school. You're yes. lucky that the police weren't called. Right. And, and, and Tyrone's like, well, nobody got hurt. <laughs> Still, we hope, we hope getting suspended for a week. That should give Max a place for five days, right? Back home, Tyrone reckons it could have been worse. Parents of the year for the umpteenth year running, they thought that Hope was dealing with this book thing well albeit not profitably. Mm-hmm. So Hope gets home and the only thing she wants is her money, which she says that she earned. Fizz explains that she's in serious trouble and Ty is very disappointed. And when they mention the teacher retiring, mm-hmm. Hope... Smiles! Kind of laughs. <laughs> she thinks that's hilarious. But when they mention that she's in real trouble, Hope turns on the emotion and asks if Ty is going to leave because of her like he did last time. And Tyrone and Fizz are too stupid to realise that they're being played. Aye, so Hope Shenanigans gets Tyrone feeling very guilty and he reckons that Fizz would have been better off with Phil with two L's. True. Fizz points out that Hope is worried that he's going to leave again and chat like that isn't about to help. True. So Tyrone promises to be the best damn dad he can. Uh. And by that he means bending over backwards to make Hope happy. He makes a popcorn and explains that he's taking time off and they have a therapist appointment tomorrow and he's taking time off work so he can hang out with her. And he rushes off to turn up the heating, which allows... Or, no, oh, to get a blanket. Oh, to, to, which allows he, Hope... He's not going to go that far. Which allows Hope to contact Sam on one of those walkie-talkie things that were confiscated a couple of weeks ago to explain that she is in hog heaven. She's got a week off school, she's got a bowl of popcorn, Tyron's wrapped around her finger, and she is high as fuck. And that is how we end this week's episodes. 
Why can nobody parent on the street? Why? Why? Why is there? Why are there no decent parents at well, all? Well, Billy's uh, well, no. Can no no no. Maria. Yeah, I guess. Because she only, she only damaged that van the one time. I guess Steve and Tracy have done a fairly good job with Amy. She only got pregnant that one time. She raised herself. <laughs> That's true. Si- no, Simon's. Mm-mm. Simon has issues. Yeah, he does. Jacob has issues. Aaron has issues. Sam is good, but again, Sam Sam is like Amy. But Sam He's was raised himself. Sam was well raised by Natasha, Natasha for who, years, who they killed. Right. Yes. And even then, he, he kept on wandering off. Remember? Right. <laughs> yes, yeah, she couldn't even. So maybe not. I mean, there was lots of this that I liked. I, th- I like Hope trying to be the P.T. Barnum. Right. And uh, and I I. What I didn't like was how she was so easily fooled by the year 11 girls. Right. Who, you know, she thought that she was she was in with them. And, right. And albeit the bullying had stopped, but they were kind of making fun of her. Behind at, her back. Behind her back. Right. So, and that's horrible and cruel. And yes. But so Sam is, did try and warn her, though. So is so many of the things that Hope does. Oh, without a doubt. You know. So it's hard to feel sympathetic for her when she is a child of the corn. Well, this was really getting close to the thing that we've been talking about really since we started the podcast, that yes. she's she's getting ramped up to be her her father's daughter. Right. And taking a weapon to school is pretty serious. Yes, and, and those... absolutely. She's lucky she's only been suspended for a week mm-hmm. instead of expelled. Yeah, this is Croshaw's first exposure to Hope. To Hope, yes. If this was still Bessie Street, yeah. she's not getting back to Bessie Street no. for taking a hammer to school. No. Uh, Croshaw will learn. But you know, It makes you wonder what they're going to do with her as she ages and grows up and one would assume start a family of her own and, and have to get a real job and stuff. She's like Tracy, but worse. Or is, she, or is she going to be a serial killer and then be off the show? Yeah. And that, I don't know, that's does, kind of sad. That doesn't sit too comfortably, no. No. I don't think we're ready to have 12-year-old murderers no. on the show. That's, no. That's a very, very, very dark place that we're going if that happens. Yes. So it has to be resolved. But to, let's to remember, she caused... Alina to miscarry. She yeah. started th- two fires. She caused a man to retire early, and she thinks that's hilarious. And she threatened people. She took she the digger hurt- to fill with two L's car. Right. Yeah. It's shocking. We haven't seen her torture we animals. Mm. And yet Sam is very close to her. Yeah. Because that doesn't really. Right. Drive you would too think. Closely. You would think that Sam would. Steer clear of murderous people. It's it's oh, interesting. This. It's interesting that he hasn't drawn similarities between Hope and Harvey. Although you know, I think he's trying. To. I do think he's trying. Hope still has two parents. 
something that Harvey didn't have. And neither Tyrone nor Fizz have a drug empire <laughs> for her to grow up in. It's just, I don't know. I think separately. It can be fun to see her kind of be this whole bad seed, but there comes a point where you have to say, are we using this bit too much? Yeah. I feel sorry for Ruby. Because Ruby is like the, the perfect wee child and she gets completely ignored. Right, yeah. Hope was the one that gets the new desk. Right, yeah. Hope is the one that gets the popcorn and a week off school. Right, yeah. Where is poor Ruby? She just gets Have thrown up in a room. Have they locked her in the attic with Simon? She's either up in a room or, or brushing right. her teeth her or getting whole, ready for bed. Her whole family is in this storyline and she's nowhere to be seen. <laughs> poor Ruby. Poor Ruby. <laughs> the thing <sighs> is, with Ty and Fizz, I mean, neither of them are winning Mastermind anytime soon. Well, no. But they seem to recognise sort of questionable qualities in other people. Right. Very easily. But not Tyrone in saw how Aaron's dad was horribly violent and a horribly violent character and wanted to do something to to protect his family because he saw this negative trait in someone mm-hmm. from one meeting. Right. And yet he doesn't really see these things in his own family. And hope that clearly. And and Fizz is kind of the same. Fizz is kind of quick to condemn but doesn't see what's yeah. blatantly obvious in front of her. Yeah. I guess that's painful. Or the a fact bit. that she is kind of enabling this behaviour. She's like, oh, you know, she she recognizes that this is damaging to Hope, but she doesn't do anything to stop it. No, Hope could be bludgeoning Fizz to death and Fizz would say, oh, she's misunderstood. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the fact that there are all these red flags being thrown up all week long where Hope is being very unhope-like. And their reaction to that is, oh, isn't it nice that she's finally making friends and doing her schoolwork and getting up early and polishing her shoes? It's the easy route, though, because they've had so much to deal with through her for so long that when she finally starts to look like she's behaving, they're just so relieved. Right. That it's for, a, for a second, it's like, oh, I don't have to worry about this rather than worrying about it more because it's completely out of character. Right, yeah. But the easy thing to do is to say, okay, that's sorted now. We don't have to think about that anymore. Mm -hmm. Job's a good one. Yes. But it obviously isn't. No. I don't know exactly where we're going with this. Um, Because we've already... it's, It's all been rumbled. She's been excluded from school before. Right, and we've already had poor Hope having to be sent away to a school for very special children. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is this is the problem with this is that you've, I mean, basically this whole story, this whole John Stape thing has been done to death because we had this this whole thing with Jed and mm. stuff. You know, another bad seed of John Stapes. Oh, what I wouldn't give for Jed back now. Ugh. But even that, you know, it's like, yeah, why can't Ruby have her own storyline? Why can't we have storylines about nice children? Why isn't Sam friends with Ruby, who's nice (laughs) and good 
What is wrong here? Oh, you know, she likes to dress up as a lion. And who doesn't? <laughs> no, I don't. I, I, the book seems to have now died a death. No pun intended. Um, I was very disappointed in Carla for not throwing Beth out on her ass. It's like you threatened this, and then you back off. Yeah, and I'm sure Jacob's still on some kind of probation. And was only given the job, really, as a last resort. And I don't think... Did Carla really want to give him the job in the first place? Who knows? But She was talked into it. Yeah, but Jacob is a very good worker. And everybody likes him. Yeah. So it works out. Yeah. Oh, well. So that was our abridged week that was Coronation Street. What was your moment Sam of and Harvey. Yeah. Kind of called it immediately. There yeah. was just... It was just so good. It was so good. And they were both so good together, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't treacly. It wasn't schmaltzy. It wasn't overly sentimental. I mean, we are talking about dead mothers here, but still, you right. know, it and the reactions were natural. And, you know, like I said, the only problem I have with that scene is Nick being there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can see some of the complaint about it being being valid but my, my disbelief was sufficiently suspended throughout it because i just thought the performances absolutely both were just so spot on and you know harvey never apologizes for killing natasha no he's sorry for where he is right so there is so uh, it's it's not like he is completely reformed no. you know this didn't it's this was not like a complete 180 of harvey this was Harvey very slowly recognizing something of himself in Sam and Sam mm. recognizing something of himself in Harvey right? without going overboard and, and making it like an, an overnight thing. Yeah, absolutely. So Sam confronting Harvey is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. <sighs> Brian's ears. Oh, <laughs> Uh, Ken making up a fake friend from school to get out of having lunch with Mary. Oh, was that fake, do you think? No, probably not. Because it did seem like he was going out to meet someone. Ken incorrectly thinking that (laughs) Mr. Spock has big ears. Just homeless stew. (laughs) The helicopter homeless stew? No. No? That's not really. Uh, homeless stew explaining casserole to Yasmin. <laughs> no, asking Eliza if the casserole was too rich for her. Because, like, no, why the fuck no. do I know what too rich means? I'm, well, a wee, I'm a wee kid. In fairness, our wee kids would know what that means. But, no, the. the, the Stu explaining to Yasmin that he's come over to start to saute the vegetables so that they'll be ready to make the casserole. And then we do this. And then we do, you know, explaining his whole schedule. To, yeah. Thank you. Sorry, Stu. I sadly, tried very hard to give it to Ken. Sadly, no necklace of the week this week. Oh, well. Was there no necklace? I don't think so. Hmm. I think we would have noticed. I think I'm, I'm looking for it. Right. I'm not even wearing a necklace right now. I'm wearing a very lovely P 
peacock scarf. Oh, well, then you're boring necklace of I, I do have this necklace with me that I got in Arizona. Yeah. But I'm not wearing it. Fascinating stuff. Yes. If you have an interesting necklace story, please write in to tell us about it. We are the talk of the street at <laughs> gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Mastodon. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Our talk on the street. The talk on the street. Bye. Cheerio.